everyone, Sabra and Courtney here with another episode of Impractical Theorists. Today we're going to be talking about cooking and, and food, food. Um, and restaurant life. Kind of everything <laughs> that encompasses, you know, being a foodie and working in the restaurant industry. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I did go to culinary school. Gosh, it's probably been like, I don't know, five or six years ago now. I don't know. I think I graduated in like 2019, like in May. And for me, like my love of cooking really started when I was a kid. My mom was really adamant about teaching all of us kids to be able to cook, um, especially for my brother, like my little brother, the middle child, um, because it, I felt like the only thing he could cook was hot dogs and mac and cheese. And she was like, one day I'm not going to be there to take care of you. So I want to, I want you guys to be able to cook. And, and it really sort of solidified this like idea that food can be beautiful, creative, but also comforting as well. Um, and I always, I guess like watch the food network and I was really inspired by like Kat Cora and watching, um, the iron chef challenges. Um, for a long time, I really, that's kind of like really what I wanted to do was like, I was like, Oh, I want to be an iron chef. I just want to be like the best of the best. And I think, as much as culinary school taught me so much and gave me a lot of life lessons, it was also so incredibly challenging and really difficult. I think that that's where some of my anxiety really stemmed from was just constantly being under pressure for two years straight. Um, and, <laughs> and it ended up, I ended up not, you know, being a chef at all, which is fine. I mean, I still work in the restaurant industry and I mean, hopefully not permanently <laughs> because, because being on the service end of it, cause of course, you know, they do teach you like they teach you how to cook and bake, but they also teach you the service aspects as well. So if you wanted to do something in fine dining, as far as service wise, um, that you had some background knowledge to that, which I think is really important. And, and I will say the one thing that really stood out to me is that my chef instructor never demeaned or made service staff to be out as anything less. Like he had talked um, about one instance where I think he went to, I think it was like a restaurant and maybe in Chicago, but that so long ago, I don't know if that's actually the memory, if it's a memory of a memory, either way. (laughs) Point being is that he talked about a gentleman who um, had served him at one point in time and he was kind of sarcastic, but that was his like selling point, you know, and it made the experience really unique. And at one point in time, my chef instructor had asked for a cup of coffee and there was a cigarette butt floating in it. And that was like supposed to be the joke. And my chef instructor got it as well. And everyone had a good laugh about it. And of course the sir, the waiter replaced it, but he was like, this dude made a lot of money because he used his talents and his knowledge of service and of food and his love for both to be able to create a really unique experience for people and I think that's something that has made being a server a lot easier for me is creating like that unique experience you know for me that this is my selling point whatever that may be um to be able to make a lot of money um but aside from that I just I don't know I love to cook I know that you do too and that we you you especially really push the envelope with some of the things you make, and I think it's really cool. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty much, like, I pretty much was the same way growing up. Like, my grandparents, my dad, my grandpa even, like, everybody in my family cooks, you know? And so I grew up watching them, and, you know, that's kind of how I... I mean, I didn't know how to cook shit when I was in high school. <laughs> like, my mom was like, you need to 
like sharpen your skills because you're not going to be able to ha- get no man without <laughs> being able to make box macaroni. Right. Mashed potatoes every day is not going to cut it. <laughs> yeah. So so that's kind of where I started. Actually, the first thing I remember ever cooking, like that was like a big deal because I made it from scratch, was um, uh, me and my friends in high school. No, no, no. This was before that. Um, anyway, I don't know why, but one day I was just sitting in computers class and I was like, man, and I didn't even like chicken Alfredo at the time, but I was like, maybe if it was spicy though, it'd be really good. And so that kind of like started it all. Mm -hmm. And then I looked up a recipe and I made it and then I made it several more times over the years after that, because I mean, it's just that good. Right. And so that's kind of where it all started for me. I guess I was probably 15, 16. And um, and then after that, I just, I don't know, over the years, I just started teaching myself stuff all the time. And then, like, when I got into my 20s, um, my ex, um, he was a, he's always cooked, like, his whole life. So he got me kind of more into doing it. Um, and, and he would teach me stuff as well. And, um, yeah. And so then like after we broke up and stuff, um, I started just like every day, well, not every single day, but like most of the time I would just like look up a recipe of something that I've never had before. And I would make, I would go get the, I would make like a whole day out of it. I'd go get the ingredients mm-hmm. and come home and like, you know, start my mise en place, you know, just like gets it would be a whole whole day event and I would and I that's how I taught myself how to cook was just like and so now you know there's there's almost any there's not a lot that I can think of that I haven't made just because I've you know just made myself I just taught myself just by watching like tasty videos right you know and so you know and I wanted to go to culinary school too but I um it's an expensive trade that you like trade school well, that you don't have to pay like you don't have to like that was something I learned in culinary school is you don't have to go to culinary school to be a chef no. there are so many chefs out there that have just worked their way up from the bottom and yeah. are some of the most talented people out there because of that yeah but still like I don't know I feel like being in restaurants for the last 14 years has like beat it out of me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it has the tendency to do that and well and I think that <laughs> Because you and I have both been servers for a really long time. Have you ever worked a back-of-the-house job? Mm-hmm. You have? Okay, I thought so. Um, I I definitely think that they are two sides of the same coin in the sense that they are both so extremely challenging. But I think that there's like this – sometimes it's unspoken and a lot of times it's very out there. Kind of like hatred between front and back of house. Whereas like yeah. the cook CSL is entitled and rude and kind of like bitches. Yeah. And we look at the cooks as like you're all drug addict fucking drunk motherfuckers <laughs> and you know and you're assholes. And like you go how can you not read a screen? And they're like how can you not ring in an order right and check your shit you know? Right. But I think that really putting that out there is for people for two people right now who have done both both are incredibly difficult in their own way. Yeah. You know? I mean, honestly, though, what they both have in common is that it's, like, physically and mentally, mentally taxing. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's, oh, man. It's literally, like, no other job I've ever worked. Yeah. You know, like, 
and I've worked in several different types of jobs, but I mean, for the most part, restaurants, but like the jobs that I've had outside of restaurants, they're, it doesn't even come close in comparison to the amount of stress on your body and on your mind. Like, and, and to do that for so long, like some people do it their entire, entire life. life. Right. I used to say that I wanted to do that just because the money's there, but like, God, man. Well, I think the, the feast or famine, yeah, kind of aspect, whereas sometimes the money is, like right now, Christmas tips, like the money is great, but you know that there's going to be seasons or elements that aren't so great, and yeah, it's about... I mean, but I feel like it all evens out, like it's not to the point, like I've never been at a point as a server where I couldn't afford to pay my bills. Right. Yeah, yeah. actually that is that is so true. it's basically like I can either, like in the down season, I can still pay my bills, but then in the up season, I can do extra things. Right. You know what I mean? Like, but like... I mean, unless you just work at a shitty restaurant like Ruby Tuesday. <laughs> oh, Nobody God. makes money. Oh, my God. I used God. to work there, actually. I, which oh, were, yeah, you did, too. Yeah. Pueblo, w- right? Yeah. Well, I've worked at uh, two. I worked one, one in, or I worked at the one here in Wentzville, Missouri, for those of you who don't love Missouri. Um, I worked there for, like, two years, and I quit after a while. because I worked at this one here? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was still living <laughs> with my parents, so, like, this was that oh. was my first serving job. Oh, And gosh. I was like, uh, you know, so for me, making $350 a week was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. Right. And I had really, I worked so hard, and I really wanted to become a bartender. And it just, it, I kept begging them, and it never happened, it never happened. And, of course, I went on my lunch break um, because I was working a split shift, and I went over to this fucking... I think I might have worked there a month. It was a shit hole bar, like hole in the wall. It was called Great Location. Newsflash, not in a great location, but it was like a biker bar. And um, that was kind of like my first experience really working in a bar, even though I wasn't bartending. Um, And of course, I go over there, I get it in, like I get, I'm doing my interview and they hire me. And I go back and I'm like, listen, I'm putting in my two weeks. And they're like, we're literally putting you on the bar schedule so you can train. And I was just like, well, guess it wasn't for me at that point in time. I mean, I did eventually when I moved to Pueblo for a little while out in Colorado, um, I did become a bartender at Ruby Tuesday. And honestly, the bar was really where all the money was. Yeah, yeah that's true. I remember that. Like, like and, and even though now I make way more than $100 a shift, like $100 a shift for me minimum every single day. What, that I worked was pretty awesome, you know, as like a 21, 22 year old. I don't know how I did it back then because, I mean, when I worked at Ruby, and I worked there for probably eight months. Which one did you work at? I finally quit in Colorado Springs, the one um, in the mall. There's one in the in the mall. It's not there anymore, but. Um, None of them are there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. Are they all gone? Yeah, but like, dude, no, seriously, some nights, like, I would basically. I think the most I ever, like, I don't even know the most I ever made, because it really was never much. Like, I was lucky to make, like, 80 bucks. Yeah. You know, like. Honestly. And most nights I would walk out with, like, 25. And, because it was just dead all the time. Yeah. Like, unless it was, like, Christmas time, where people were in the mall shopping. Right. But, like, dude, malls are dying now, you know? so There like, is no like point in putting a restaurant in a mall, because it's just not going to happen. No, I mean, unless it's, like you know, something quick, like Auntie Anne's, you know, or like McDonald's or something, you know, where people are just going to be in and out, but like to come and sit down, like most people, especially if you're in a food court with like a whole bunch of other cheap restaurants, nobody's going to come eat at your sit down restaurant. Right. I mean, unless 
you know? There's a few people that will, but it's just not, like, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, growing up in the 90s, that was more common, but, like, now, no. There's no point, you know? Yeah. But, like, I I just... I remember, you know, like, in those elements where I did work at restaurants that were a lot slower. I mean, luckily, I was a lot younger at the time, so, like, living with my parents, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Um, And even when I did live in Colorado, I didn't live by myself. It was me and four other, or, I'm sorry, three other people, so a total of four of us. Like, even when I didn't make a ton of money, like, it, we ended up being okay until we got robbed, like, two different times, and, yeah. Don't go to Pueblo if you've ever been to Colorado. Just just skip it. Just go around it. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Um, But... (laughs) It it wasn't, oh, I don't know. I probably didn't really start hating working in a restaurant until, I don't know, the past, like, three or four years. I'm just, like, it's just, it's just so stressful, you know. Uh, and what people, like, I guess, you know, every, like, I see people are like, well, if you don't like it, find a different job. But, like, what people don't realize is that sometimes I can make, um, you know, almost a thousand dollars in five or six days like that's a lot of money that Mm -hmm. pays all a lot of my bills and if I do that frequently enough like I get really ahead of the game and for me to just drop out of the restaurant industry and start over somewhere else outside of it I'm taking a massive pay cut that would really financially abandon like hurt me it's rough I make $17 an hour now and it's not enough right for basic bills right and and that's what something that people don't realize, uh, you know, when I, when when servers or you know bartenders or cooks or whatever complain about being in the restaurant industry, like it's not to be like we're ungrateful, but damn, give us a little compassion, you know, like right. if if it wasn't for people like us working this job, no one would have, you wouldn't have anyone to feed your ass. Yeah, exactly. you know, and it's not, and, and what people frustrates me so much is, they're like. Well, all you do is ring in food and refill drinks and bring out food. No, I create an experience. Like, that's the whole point is for me to make you feel like you went to your family's house and they're feeding you and taking care of you. Do you all want to just feel like you're at a buffet at every restaurant you ever go to and help your fucking self? You right. know what I mean? Like, or would You're you more than welcome nice to bring in your own food. Right. Like, please be my guest. <laughs> for those of you who don't want a server... Or don't want a tip. Go stand in this line and help yourself. Right. For real. You know, and, and I and I get it. Um, I think, um, you know, uh, the United States, I think, is like the only place where um, tipping is considered, not necessarily mandatory per se, but it's customary. You yeah. know, in most places outside of this, um, they they pay you a hourly wage, like, and then they pay you decently. Yeah. And then if people want to tip on top of that, then that's their choice. But right. that's, and, and I get it. I am a person that believes in, you know, abolish, not necessarily abolishing tipping, but pay your servers a fucking living wage. My right. God, like why, why, you know, why should we have, we, why should we have to rely on the compassion of a compassionless society to be able to make our living wage? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's just, that's a part of the gamble. Okay. I have something we should, um, each say what is our worst or maybe one of our worst um experiences with a a nasty customer i have (laughs) two that literally have just come to mind and they happened so recently and and they're and they are honestly both absolutely ridiculous and i think it's just part of my issue is i think that i just i'm so fucking awkward so you know like when customers joke with me or like or I'm like kind of like dry, like a Popeye's biscuit a little bit. So it's like I'll be really friendly, but I'm just I'm not a person who sits down and like 
sits at the edge of your table and is like, oh, oh my God, like yeah. having a 15 minute conversation with you. Cause it's just most cases, I just don't have the time for that. I have a million other one things that I need to be doing. And, um, it's really hard for me to converse with people anyways. Cause I'm just like, I think that that is so unprofessional, like getting down on your, and we like, know, and I can, and I know so we know somebody that comes to mind immediately. Cause we worked at the same restaurant that comes to mind and we're just like, I know one person that's like that. Yeah. And, and you know, I just, I, and I think that's part of sometimes the issue is that customers, and like, I'm not being short, I'm friendly and I'm happy. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll totally get that for you. No worries. And then I kind of like dart off and I'm like, I don't have time for you to like explain yourself or right. like, I'm like, whatever you need, tell me what you need and I'll get it for you. And yeah. that's it. Like, I don't, I don't have, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that you have everything that you need. But that's kind of where it stops for me. Cause in most cases I, you know, I work at a really busy restaurant here and for a long time, it didn't have a whole lot of competition and trying to keep a clientele base in there so that I can continue to make lots of money is really my top priority. But there has to be a little give, you know, and sometimes we don't have 10 to 15 minutes to stop and talk with you about your life and, you know, what's going on. And it's not that I'm trying to be insincere and considerate, but I, in most cases, have a four table section and every so single one of my like, tables. Someone who complained about that or something? Okay. <laughs> yes and no. They didn't complain to me. They complained to somebody else. So I had gotten a table in like, this is one of two stories that I have of people that were just so inconsiderate and rude to me for no reason. And I was not disrespectful to them at all. Right. So I had a you table. You never are. You like, know? That's the thing. Like, and that's the thing. They're never provoked. They're just like already shitty when they walk in the door. Right. And not to say that every server is like happy and wonderful right. 100% no, of the time. No, I'm not saying that. Because I know a lot of servers that are really bad at their job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, you know, but. But I had had a table come in. It was like my last table of the night. And I, they had sat down. They would ordered some appetizers and drinks. And I was taking good care of them. And I got their. They had ordered two salads. I got the salad started. Um, and I was in the back doing some stuff. And um, they, I guess, thought that I had just like disappeared on them or whatever. And they're like, we're not even sure that. Like, so they stop another server. And they're like. We're not even sure she got our salads in. Um, can you please bring us the redheaded girl with no soul? Like, literally said that about me to another server. And that server was reluctant to say anything because I was like, I mean, like, everything was rang in. Everything was perfect. They had everything that they needed. And my only one thing that I will say, and I'll own this, like, I'm not a perfect person, is um, I let their drinks just go a little too empty. I mean, they weren't completely out, but, like, you know, they needed a refill. I get that. Whatever. Like, I know when I make a mistake and can own that, but they had no other reason outside of that to, to say such a thing. I was never rude to them. It was so nice and it was already late night, you know, and I get it. Like people say that about ginger people. Right. That I'm like, they're like the girl with, I think actually they said orange hair because it was pretty copper color. I can't believe though that someone would have the audacity because don't they know that that person is going to tell you exactly what they said? Well, like, so what would they be? What, why, why, why don't they just say it to your face? Right. Well, and what, <laughs> like, was, and what was really, you know? what was really fucked up about the situation is I had no idea there was anything wrong because they were so nice to me. And I was like, I was nice back. Like, you know, I thought everything was going great and they tipped me 20%. And then it wasn't until after they had left and this other server approached me about what they said, I was just like, 
I don't understand. Like I had gotten everything in the way like, when it was supposed to be done. Um, they didn't wait that long for their salads at all. Like everything came out the way it's supposed to. And I did think it was weird that when I go to drop their salads off, they're like, can we just get boxes? I figured that maybe they just filled up on appetizers. They had two or three of them. So it, it like, it really messed me, like not messed me up on a, like a personal level where I took it to heart because I don't, because I get it. Some people are just assholes, whatever. But like, a couple weeks prior, I had had this table that came in and I, sh- and you know about this one cause I showed you, I sent you a picture of the receipt. Um, I had a table come in and it was a couple and they, um, they were just like kind of really quiet, not really talking to me a whole lot. So I kind of tried to give them space cause I, you know, that's part of our job is to read people. And this woman had this pasta that came out and it came out cold and it came out a little bit wrong. So I was like, let me go ahead and get that taken care of for you. You know, go back, get it fixed. Um, get everything warmed up nice and pretty and then send it back out. So I go through that. I take care of it. I make sure that, you know, to the best of my ability that it's hot, everything's right. And I take it back out. And then a couple minutes later, I wanted to check on her because that's part of my job is to make sure that, Hey, did I actually fix the problem? Cause if not, then we need to do something more. I need to have it remade, taken off, whatever. So I go over there, I stop by and I'm just like, you know, everything's looking good. You guys doing Okay. Well, I guess I had stopped by one too many times because at the end of the ordeal, the situation, whatever, they get up and they leave, you know, at the end of their meal and they stiffed me on a $50 check. And at the bottom, they wrote um, great energy for a child's backyard birthday party. Oh, yeah. Some people just want to be left alone to have a quiet dinner for themselves. Um, Nothing personal. Try again next time. And I was like the fuck so I'm either too happy or not happy enough right and it's like you know what servers are doing the absolute best that they can I'm not saying that all of us are perfect are we going to make mistakes yes we're human beings we do the best that we absolutely can and I know that I'm not a bad server because I've been doing this for so fucking long like I I get compliments all the time And it's not that I need validation because I know I work really hard, but it's like you get experiences like that and it just kind of beats you down because you're either too much or you're not good enough. That's why I'm saying that the restaurant industry beat it out of me. Like I used to love working in restaurants, but like the over the years, the more people complaining and the more just like, you know, such petty bullshit that you have to put up with. It's like, it just like... Eventually, I I started being a bad server because I stopped caring. Right. Like, because I just don't care. Like, nee, 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 Karen, go ahead and bitch to somebody else because I don't care. Yeah. So I had to walk away. Like, I had to. And luckily, I got to do that this year. I'm not saying I'm in the best scenario situation, but whatever. But um, it's an option to kind of refresh, though, because it just, it's so hard and then on the flip side, when you're working back a house, you're standing back there in the fucking heat for 10 to 12 hours, and it's just order after order after order. And right when you finally get your head above water, your fucking screen's full again. And you're, in, you know, and for me, I guess I didn't work in a sense where I, well, I did one time. Uh, I had one job, and it was kind of encompassed in working at this uh, resort and conference center where we had like a clubhouse, like it was on a golf course and they had screens and I, you know, working with that and bumping shit off. And in most cases we had like tickets and the servers would bring us, you know, their order on a ticket and they would just like hang them up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, you feel like you get 
your head above water, your screen's clear, your tickets are all out of the window, and then 15 more come in, and you're just like, oh my god, all I want to do is go outside and smoke a cigarette and be away from all of you for five minutes, like, and that's why when people joke about, like, going to cry in the walk-in, or for me, I go and cry in the bathroom, because I feel like it's a little more personal, I don't have anyone coming in and watching me cry, um, you know, I think that that happens more often than not, and we just don't talk about it, Mm -hmm. because it is so stressful, and it's like you you have to go vent that frustration somewhere, which honestly it's probably why a lot of people in the restaurant industry either are either alcoholics or use some sort of substance yeah. because there's it's so stressful all the time and there's no way to escape it that you got to do something. Yeah, and it's really bad if you have if you're already like an anxious person. You know? Right. Um. So my story. I okay. So I kind of forget the context because it's been so long now. Shit, it's been probably almost a year since this has happened. It's crazy. So, you remember the cheese lady? The lady that knocked the cheese all over the floor? Were you there that night? <gasps> I, I wasn't there that night, but I, I remember that. Oh where she, God. like, literally, like, dumped it out on the floor. Yeah, so, like, I don't remember the context. I don't remember what she, why she was asking for the cheese. So, anyway, I brought her a little ramekin of cheddar cheese. And she's like, can it be... Or I need it to be, like, melted. And I'm like, there's no way for me to do that. Like, there's no way for me to bring you, like, melted, like, pre-melted cheese. Yeah. Like, what? I think it was for, like, a baked potato or something. So, anyway, um, so I'm, like, explaining this to her in a very nice way. You know, like, I'm never shitty to people. Like, unless they're shitty to me and I stop giving, you know, giving a shit about, you know impressing them then yeah but like no at this point the whole meal it was her and her daughter and like the whole meal had gone just fine or the whole experience anyway like they hadn't waited there was no issue and so anyway (coughs) so I bring her this ramekin and it wasn't melted and I explained to her why I can't bring her pre-melted cheese because what do you I mean, like, you want me to throw it on the grill, like, like the well. I mean, at the restaurant the we have, microwave? we have one type of melted cheese, right? And it's queso, yeah. Like, you know. So anyway, um, so so yeah. So I explained it really nicely, and like, then I you know go off to one of my other tables, and I turn around, and the cheese is on the floor, and I'm like, hmm. Seems like it wasn't an accident. So, yeah. So, me and Anderson go back and look at the the cameras. And, well, actually, I think that they saw it first. And they came and got me so they could show me what happened. And, yeah, as soon as I turned around, the lady, like, purposefully, like, flicked flicked the cheese off of the table onto the floor like a toddler throwing a temper tantrum. Yeah, so this is what I did. So, oh my gosh, I get like, I get so petty like when this shit happens because I just like, oh, I hate people like that, you know? Like, God, you're like 50 years old and you're acting like you're five. Yeah. So anyway, so I go back and (laughs) this is because I'm always petty. I like was taking the broom, like, so she's. So basically, I took the broom and I was sweeping it as I was facing her. (laughs) Just looking dead ass at her, like right in her fucking eyes. Yeah. And she would not look up at me at all. 
It was so funny. And, and um, you know, I actually had customers at different tables that weren't my customers, but they were other people's that they were like, I cannot believe that happened. Like, that's so childish. So, yeah, that was my one big story. I mean, God, I feel bad I mean, for that woman's daughter. Yeah, because that's embarrassing. Like, and I can't imagine, you know compassionate like teenagers and young adults going out with their parents and their parents just acting like a giant asshole like my parents are so nice and they always tip 20 percent and and they've had like some really tough experiences like especially like steak and shake i think there was one time they waited like literally like over an hour for their food because they were just so busy and they're so understaffed steak and shake is always but they still like the like the poor girl was almost in tears and they still they left her a really good tip and they were just like don't worry about it like we get that they because my parents have worked a lot in the rest restaurant industry as well um, oh i think everybody like gain some human if you want to gain or if you need to gain some humility work in a restaurant. restaurant hands down because it's going to humble you yeah absolutely. it really and i think honestly the world could benefit or maybe not the world but i guess the united states speaking more personally would benefit if everyone in this country had to work at least six months at a restaurant or retail right like I can guarantee you that people would be a lot less shitty to each other because they would understand. Yeah, exactly. And because it sucks. Right. I've only worked one retail job, and I, it was, like, literally my first job. I was 16, I think, and I, I worked at an old, old Navy for, like, three months as seasonal help, mm. you know? But I was like, oh, my God, this is my first job. Yeah, retail blows. <laughs> yeah. Like, I almost I almost don't like that more than I don't like working in the restaurant industry. Seriously, I, I literally lasted one, one count of one day <laughs> at uh, Bath and Body Works. One day. And I was super excited to get the job because I thought, oh, I get to work around all this good smelling stuff until I got there and I was the new girl. And what did they make me do? Go around and tediously face. Face and stock everything. And do, yeah. Yep. While they did none of it. And I'm like... This is not for me. <laughs> I'm leaving. Yeah. Well, on a more brighter note, um, you know, kind of talking about our experience in food and in the restaurant industry, because I know that we, you know, as much as we bitch about how bad it can be, there honestly is a lot of upsides to it, which I think is why so many people spend so much time in the restaurant industry and um, the the camaraderie especially and for me personally I think because I've worked in an actual bar setting before as a bartender I it really I really enjoyed having that experience is the camaraderie that you can have mm. like I'm not saying it's perfect all the time and I think that's how I've made like all of my adult friends right is is you know working in a restaurant and it's just like you all are so miserable together that you're just like we got to yeah. do something like I'm the girl that tells all the butthole jokes, but, like, <laughs> yeah. that's my thing. That's my niche there. And Oh, yeah. When I was telling my parents one night about some of the stuff we talked about, they were like, <laughs> oh, my God, Courtney, that's so inappropriate. And I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand. Like, everybody does it. Everybody, even, like, the nice girls. <laughs> Literally. The nice girls that hardly ever make a peep, like... We'll start talking about buttholes with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're like, yeah. Or you're like, we're like, oh, what's the weirdest place like, that you've got a dick appointment? Or like, yeah. or like, I mean, have you just, ever stuff? What's the weirdest thing you've put in your butthole? Like, you know, like weird stuff like that. I mean, it's like, is it inappropriate? Absolutely. If you, if people, if more people heard about the things that were said in the server station or behind the line, right. a lot less people would be dining out. But, yeah. but like, you're not wrong. But like, 
that's how we make it through. Yeah. You know? You gotta have, like, I think it's just because we are already in a really dark place, so we gotta have that dark humor to go along with yes, it. Yes! You know? Absolutely, like, yeah. Just to kind of dig you out of the trenches. I mean, because honestly, it... And, and I'm like, we're literally not exaggerating at all. When you work at a busy restaurant, you don't stop moving. Ever. Period. Yeah. Like, and if you do, you're standing there to put in an order. And yeah, you might get to talk to like some of your coworkers for like a minute. But like when you're actually like balls to the wall and busy and there's like a line out the door and stuff, dude, you don't stop moving for several hours. Yeah. You don't even get to like go to the bathroom. Think about, oh, do I have to pee? Do I need a drink? You know, like most of the time, like, you know, you're running around for an hour, two hours and then you're like, oh my God, I've had to pee for like eight hours. Yeah. (laughs) I've, I've been here all day and haven't eaten anything. What is hunger? Yeah. So, you know, that having that family sort of element and for me, like, with some of the people that I've met, you know, that, that really, maybe, I mean, we still have that element at, at the place that I work at now, but when I worked at, um, and I feel safe in name dropping cause this place is closed and has been for a while. But, uh, when I worked at highway 40 brews, like that was a bar, like that was a bar. And I didn't know if I was going to like it cause I tried the bar setting before and I was like, Mleh. and that place was an absolute disaster at any given moment. Like there were times that like cooks just wouldn't show up. So we'd have one or two cooks. There was one time a cook walked out, our only cook walked out in shift and myself and the manager went back there and made food because I knew how to cook right. and I could, I could carry, I could help carry everything and still be a server. Luckily mm. we were slow enough, but like my favorite part is when everyone's off the clock, like usually about 10, 30, 11, but you're still open until 1.30. So the bartender's still working and you have late night bar regulars and you all get to sit down with each other and just like drink a beer or, or whatever cocktail and you're all just like shooting the shit, listening. Like we'd put music on in the jukebox and like, cause you know, we had one of those, not like, not the old school, like but the fancy ones, you know, the touchscreen ones. Enjoy it all for yourself at the end of the night. Right. You know? <laughs> and, you know, and, and it, it's like you can just sit there and, you know, shoot the shit and talk about stuff and kind of unload. And that's really where you make some of your restaurant friendships is in those moments right there yeah. where you can just sit down and you're just people. You're not coworkers at that moment. You're people at a bar hanging out, having fun. Mm-hmm. And... And I will say that even in the shittiest, most busy moments when you can make each other laugh and you can uh, help each other out and you put that teamwork element out there, it really makes the night. Like, it really does. And those are the moments that you You remember. I do have to say this. I absolutely loathe working in restaurants now, but I do have to say that once in a while there would be that one perfect day you know, those perfect days, just once in a while where the whole entire restaurant run, runs like a perfectly oiled machine, like yep. a well-oiled machine, and like everything just goes off without a hitch, and from the from the front to the back to the, you know, start of service to the end, it's everything goes off perfectly. Yep. That hardly ne- ever happens, but when it does, it's like... Hell yeah, I killed it today. I freaking like, you know, made so much money and it's it was a great day. Right. You know, and the day passes by so fast. It really does. I remember when we were working together, um, there was a point in time where we had two days like that in a row. And it was like, what did we do to get so lucky? Right. (laughs) What is happening? Have the stars and planets aligned? (laughs) Right. But like that those days like made it worth it. It's a breath of fresh air, really, in in an industry that's just so incredibly difficult. And yeah, and I and honestly, I think 
actually working in the restaurant industry, especially, um, like as a woman. And when I, so in culinary school, and I'll explain a little bit further in culinary school, I had to do a six month internship. I'd have like 200 and like 50 hours and it could be paid or unpaid. Some people took an unpaid one at a very particular restaurant because that's where they wanted to learn and get experience. I was very fortunate that I got to, uh, meet, um, oh my gosh, I think his name was Dan, Chef Dan. Oh my gosh, that's how long it's been. Um, I, I was really fortunate that at a, um, like essentially it was like a big culinary cook-off event that our school would host um, for like high schoolers and home ec, essentially. They were like, it's like advanced home ec, kind of. Um, and they would have these cooking competitions and we would host it as, you know, the students and as a culinary school ourselves. And um, I was very fortunate to meet uh, Chef Dan uh, who worked at a resort and conference center that uh, I used to work at for several seasons. And um, he went ahead and he took me on and he hired me. And he, um, I, I think the minimum wage at the time was seven twenty five, and he paid me eight twenty five, which was huge. I felt really honored. Right. And he taught me a lot. And he really was like a work parent to me. And eventually my mom started working there as well as a dishwasher. And um, But I was very fortunate to meet him. Um, and work alongside, uh, both him and, uh, a gentleman named Adam, who was really, really cool. Um, they really, they taught me a lot. And even though I really had to step it up and I think a lot of women who are cooks or chefs professionally will understand this. It can be really challenging to be a female cook, yeah. you know, as much as, um, uh, the patriarchy likes to be like, Oh, women belong in the kitchen. Well, when we're actually there, it's a lot tougher. Well, that's because men stepped in and decided to dominate that. Right. The professional that's, aspect of it. Right. And, um, yeah, so that's part of the reason why I didn't, go, you know, why I didn't continue on with my dream of it because, well, I mean, it was just one reason. I felt like but, you had to work so much harder because you're yeah. a woman and especially as like, uh, growing up in, you know, at that point in time, uh, up until probably the last two or three years, I was like the makeup girl. That's what I did is I would wake up and I did my makeup and I loved doing it. Cause for a while I thought about being a, a professional makeup artist. And so, you know, you have me like between like 19 and 21, like piercings, tattoos, makeup's always done. And I'm working in a kitchen with pretty much all men. And I really, and, and I, I mean, granted, I kind of created my, my own, uh, made my own bed in that sense. It was like, you know, I'm sure that there are women out there who, you know, don't get that much attention, but I did. And I had to work extra hard because they were just like, oh, it's cute little Sabra. Look at your little chef's outfit. You're so cute. And then I had to work harder to prove myself. And I'm like, yeah. Hey, I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm, am I on your level? No, I haven't been cooking for 20 or 30 years, but I can hold my own and I will hold my own and I'll show you what's up. And there were times where I did just that. And my chef um, would be like, you know, I'm really proud of you. You did great. Uh, and in, in those moments, I was like, fuck yeah. Like, I did it. You know, I was able to prove myself to these men who have been in this industry for a long time and who look at me as, like, kitchen Barbie. And mm. I did it. And and I know that there are a lot of other women out there who may not have the exact same story but feel the same way. They're in a male-dominated industry. And that... They're just seen as, oh, she's just a cute little kitchen kitchen girl. Look yeah. at her. And it's cute like kitchen witch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, and that sucks. 
because yeah. we just we want to do the exact same thing that they're doing. We want to make good food for people. Right. You know, we have that that love of food and and creating um that's kind of like our love language a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, maybe we don't do it professionally, but I do think that that's something that we both share is is cooking and providing for other people is like a love language for us. Like mm-hmm. this is how we show that we love you. We, that's give, we feed you. too. It's like I wanted to keep continue enjoying cooking because cooking is like one of my favorite hobbies like it's just one of my favorite things to do so if i like turn that into a job you know i'm not gonna like it and that's the truth you really don't like i don't want to yeah because i don't know how many cook friends i have that you know are cooks and then they come home they don't want to cook when they get home because they just spend all day doing it for other people exactly and that's where it counts the most for me so like i don't know i'd rather just keep it a hobby you know same and you, know. you can still hone your skills. You can still, like, really impress people, but you don't have to do it at, you know, the hands of a restaurant. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, on one occasion, I had, um, I think I was still working at Mod Pizza at this point in time. Um, but I had uh, a buddy of mine and his girl over, and uh, she's vegan, and I wanted to make her something special because uh, I was making, like, a chicken alfredo for me and Kevin and our friend. So I made um a vegan risotto with like oh yeah I remember um, you about that with like vegetable stock and I put like asparagus and mushrooms and Jeez. I feel like I think no I think I put some sort of squash or something in it and then uh I didn't put any oh, cheese yeah, in no it cheese. yeah She's vegan. but I mean I made this dish for her and she you know be and I put a lot of love into it because I wanted her to be able to enjoy it I wanted her to have something that was amazing but tailored to her specific dietary needs. You know, right. so she, I want to like, you're here, your family, I'm taking care of you. Mm. And I want you to know that whatever you eat, I will find something that is going to be amazing for you mm-hmm. to enjoy with the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And she did, she loved it. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I think that it, it's in those moments that you find cooking is really special because mm-hmm. you got to share that moment yeah. with somebody else. Absolutely. And not only that, but sometimes, like, I don't, like I remember remember when we were baking a lot there for a minute. And it can be, like, really rewarding. It's like watching your plants grow. Yes. You know, like, it, especially if you're doing, like, sourdough bread baking. Because it's, like, such an intricate process. Like, you have to, there's just, like, so many different elements that have to be at the right, just the right, you know, place. Right. You know, like... I don't know. There's it's just a long process. But like when you do get that perfect loaf after you've like been fermenting your your uh starter forever, you know, for like a month or two or three or four or whatever, however. It's like long winning it takes the you. gold a gold medal in baking. Oh my You're God, just it like, really yes. Is. Like my goal has always been to get my bread to taste like Panera's sourdough bread. Right. Because they have the perfect like sour like, just tangy flavor. It's so It's so good. yeasty, and it's got that nice crunchy crust. Yes, yes. And I got it this year, dude. I got it this year with one loaf. Just one. But it was, but it was like worth it. so good. I think that was the last loaf I made, actually, because it was like, okay, well, I've gotten to the pinnacle of this now, so. But, um, but it, it's just, like, so rewarding, you know? Just the fruits of your labor basically. I agree. And I think for me, um baking was something I like excelled at. And then I like I love to cook and I'm really good at it, but baking is mm-hmm. what I love to do and I think um my mom and I used to bake all the time cuz she used to make uh wedding cakes for quite a few of our family members and for other people. 
and uh, she had taken like Wilton classes in I think the 80s maybe or 90s early 90s but you know she had taught me how to start baking cakes and how to make them really moist and um and then of course going to culinary school and learning how to combine flavors and um you know and making like fresh like jams and jellies and all these you know things that you can add into it to really make it special right um I I really really enjoy doing stuff like that and I don't make too many cakes nowadays because I would be the only one that eats them because Kevin doesn't like cake which is fucking weird um <laughs> but um baking really means a lot to me you mm. know and I I enjoyed like when you uh gave me that sourdough starter and in quarantine I was just baking bread all the time like oh yeah it really is super rewarding um and being able to, it, I, I, I think I like it because of its exact science. You have yeah. to have X amount, like in any baking, if you have, you know, too much flour, it's going to be cakey. If you right. have too much liquid, um, it's going to be really runny and it's not going to solidify or set right. If you right. don't have enough leavening, um, it's going to be really flat and it's going to be really dense and, you, and it's going to be like a rock, you know, and, and all of these elements you bring together in the exact right way. And if you do it just right, it makes something really beautiful yeah and I you know and being able to really uh take that extra time to you know if you're gonna make this grand cake you know be able to put like fondant over it and do all these little um modeling chocolate or fondant uh decorative elements and the incredible things that I've seen bakers do with just like you know making like buttercream um and being able to make these beautiful like roses and decorative pieces um it's really, it's kind of really inspiring because you just see. It's really neat. It's like the, art. Yeah. It, it, and, but I mean, that, I mean, but it is the, the truth. Yeah. The truth about cooking and baking is that it is a type of art. And if you, I mean, imagine going to a fancy, like Michelin five star sort of restaurant, you look at their dishes and they really almost are too pretty to eat because there's so much love and care and precision that goes into creating something that where every bite is just magical. Right. That that's, I think, why they do it, why they do what they do. And for mm-hmm. those of us, you know, who, who love cooking and just were like, you know what, I'm not going to spoil my love for a hobby that I have by trying to go professional when it's such an aggressive and rigorous, you know, workforce and industry. Right. I mean, like, there's really no, I just, like, I guess in, unless you really love that type of work, I'm sorry. Do you love to I hate know. yourself? Yeah. <laughs> really, though. I mean, I don't know. Some people some people are workaholics. Some people really like that, like, just go, go, go all the time. 60 hours a week, never, you know, I mean. And some people have done it, like, for so long that they don't know anything different. Right. You know, so it's like. This is what they, this is just what they do. You know, and, and I think that that is really impressive in a lot of ways because I know it's not something that I could do, but. To, to just, I don't know, see the artistry and see the care and the consideration that goes into everything that they do and all the really incredible and unique, you know, like, cooking, um, like, techniques, you know, like, um, molecular gastronomy. We did a little bitty bit of that in culinary school. Not a ton of it, but a little bit. Man, that stuff is so incredibly cool. Like, taking certain uh, elements and flavors and making um like uh I think one kid in my culinary class he did a deconstructed um banana split 
and he made, uh, I think it was banana flavored snow and like a strawberry jelly and then had like the homemade ice cream that we made. Cause of course we had, you know, I mean, we were a state of the art kitchen. We had everything. So we had an ice cream maker and on these fancy bread ovens and everything. It was just, it was such an experience to see the creativity and, uh, the, just the technology that we have now to create really beautiful, unique food. Right. Yeah, for sure, dude. I know. I just think it's it's really cool. If I if I could go back, would I do it again? I mean, yeah, I think that I would. It was it was hard. It was the hardest, probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. But I met a lot of really cool people, and I had amongst all the bad really good experiences and I just think that it was so worth it and I'm not saying you know if anyone listens to this and they're like I want to go to culinary school I want to be a chef you don't have to do that Mm -hmm. you don't it's not it's not mandatory will it help you will it teach you a lot of things yeah absolutely um but that's really the bottom of the ladder from there I feel like it does help you cut corners a bit though because if you're just I mean if you're just gonna like rely on just alone the the cooking that you get taught in a in a normal restaurant, like it's not. You really you gotta know, have a, a chef that it's cares. Not that and, professional, and, yeah, yeah. So you're not. I feel like you're not really learning anything because most of the time, like all those big restaurants and you know corporate places, most of that stuff is pre made anyways. And yeah, I know. In. I was gonna say if you're gonna try and learn <laughs> to be a chef, you're not gonna don't do it at a corporate restaurant. Yeah, do it at a like not necessarily a mom and pop per se because I feel it, but like. Find a really find a fine dining restaurant and work your ass off. They're gonna start you off as a dishwasher. Yeah. That's where you're gonna begin. And then at some point in time you're gonna move up to small prep items. And then mm. you're gonna move up to some of the bigger, more uh, advanced prep items. And then eventually you might start being able to work on the line. Right. Work your way up. If if you don't wanna go to school, you don't think that it's something that you can afford, because let's be honest, that's the truth. Um, start that way. Go about it that way. Mm. But if you do have the ability it is an experience unlike anything you'll ever have. It is so incredibly challenging, but you'll meet a lot of really cool people. You'll do a lot of cool things that you never imagined that you would do. And you'll get to try some things that you you wouldn't believe, you know? And that was that's kind of a, I guess, you know, what comes with all the bad is all those small good moments, which I think kind of resonates throughout the entire industry. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to be wrapping it up here in a minute, but I guess first, um, let's do our favorite recipe. Oh, man. Um, that's tough, because I think so many come to mind. Okay, you think about it for a minute. I've got mine. Okay. Mine is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving dinner. That's my favorite. But what I'm going to tell you all is how to make the best turkey you've ever had and basically it's really really simple so all you do is um you know take your lemon and or any type of citrus really but I use lemon um and make sure that you you know get all like get your lemon juice like just all over the turkey under the skin inside like you can stuff a couple lemons inside with like whatever you stuff it with um, and then, um, take salt and just, just like when, if you think it's too much salt, put more, <laughs> like you just put so much salt, rub the salt all underneath the skin as far as you can like reach just like as much salt as you can possibly think of. 
Um, like I said, if you think it's too much, put more. Um, and then do it on the same with the outside of the skin. And then um, now what I did the first time I did this, which it turned out so good, is so I ended up, um, I don't know, you kind of have to prop your turkey up a little bit so the liquid stays inside. But I poured a beer inside of it. Ooh. Like with after I had stuffed it with like carrots and celery and onion and stuff and lemons. Uh, so you pour the beer inside of it and I turned it over so it was stomach down and um, it kind of helps keep it all propped up and then it like, I don't know, does something to the meat as well. So anyway, you put, you, the, you do all this the night before cooking and then you put it in your fridge and um, like uncovered, completely uncovered, let it dry out and then flip it halfway. Like, cause you know, it's on its stomach right now when you put it in, but like you dry it out, do like, I don't know, six hours and then flip it on its back and then let it go for another six hours in the fridge and it'll really like make that skin super crispy. Ooh, we love a crispy skin in this house. Oh yes. my gosh, girl. Yes. This is the, I'm telling you, this is the best way to make turkey. It's almost like, have you ever had deep fried turkey? Yes, I have. It's fucking it's delicious. The bomb. My yeah. dad does it quite frequently. It's so good. So this is ex- that's exactly how this turkey turns out, except it's baked. Um, so you and then you bake it however long you bake it for. You know how different. much per pound. Yeah, right. it's different depending it's different. on. Usually, I think they say to bake turkey fifteen minutes per pound. I mm-hmm. believe. So. You add the citrus because it keeps the the skin moist, and then you add a bunch of salt because that salt is going to break down um, some of the protein, and it's going to like literally get all the way down to the bone, mm-hmm. and, and get it well seasoned. That's what I'm saying. Like it's so worth it to do this, and then you bake it, and then it comes out. You have literally the crispiest skin, like the crispiest turkey skin on a baked turkey ever. Um, and, and it's salted to the bone and it's not overly salted. Like you think, you know, putting all the, Oh my God, so much salt. It's a lot of salt, but it's literally, it, it it permeates the whole bird. It really, really does. And it's awesome. So that's mine. I guess mine, and this probably stems from my childhood. Some of my favorite things to make is, I guess would be considered like a pot roast. Mm. So I would usually do like a beef like shoulder, something you're going to need to slow cook. Um, and, and now granted, I use a crock pot now. If you don't have one, you can use your oven. I would just set it at about 200 and you're going to want to let it cook for, I don't know, four or five hours. Um, I like my meat a little more rare to medium rare. Mm-hmm. So that would be like cooking it to like an internal, te- internal temperature of about 135 to 140. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't like your meat like that um it is perfectly safe and will be cooked should be well done uh to an internal temperature of about one i think it's 155 160 something like that but what i do is i get uh, my mirepoix which for the that's a fancy fancy culinary term for onions celery carrot mm-hmm. so you're gonna line the your your crock pot um or your baking dish or whatever with your, it's also called the Holy Trinity. Yes. Um, with your um, your mirepoix, with all of your veggies. Um, and then if you want to, you could use like a half cup or so of red wine. If you don't like wine, you can use beef stock and you put that in your crock pot or your baking mm. dish. 
Um, and then you're going to, I season my veggies with a little bit of salt and pepper just so that they have a base flavor. I mean, they're going to get flavors from the meat as it cooks. And as you get that, that fat to, to kind of drip off and it almost bastes itself as well, you're going to get added flavors from that, but you want to season every step of the way. And then I season my protein with, um, like if I'm going to do beef, I usually do garlic salt. Um, I'm sorry, garlic powder, onion powder, salt, pepper, um, sage, rosemary, thyme, and like just like a tiny bit of oregano. Just like, you know, kind of like a, a, a very well-rounded seasoning. You can also do like Herbe de Provence. Kind of has a little bit of all that in there mm. in just one bottle. So that works right. as well. Um, and then you're going to set your meat on top of those veggies. Uh, so the, they're going to get nice and tender and uh, get that added beef flavor. Um, and then honestly, I set my crock pot to low, or like I said, if you need to do in your oven, cause you don't have a crock pot, you're going to set it to about 200 to 250 and you're going to leave it in there and you're just going to let that cook. Um, and I would say, depending on how big your cut is, uh, it's probably going to take anywhere from like five to seven hours. Um, like I said, you let that get to that internal temperature of like, for me, I do like 140, um, and it's perfect it's so tender and then you get all these really good veggies with it if you want to do like you know uh for me growing up I would do mashed potatoes with it that's what my mom and dad did and then you can take that those beef drippings and all of the um you know water that comes off or you know using all those liquids um and you can make like a gravy or a sauce with that and that's that's something that really like hits home with me is like yeah home style like that very hearty kind of cooking that's just what I love to do definitely for sure that's a good one I actually have a spinoff of that that's also really good. I can't remember what it's called. It's like Mississippi beef or something like that. But basically it's the same idea, but without... It's like a pot roast, but you basically do do the same seasonings um, with beef stock and you dump a whole thing of uh, pepperoncinis, like pe- pickled pepperoncinis yeah. in there. Girl. And then you let that go in the crock pot for like eight hours on low. Oh my god! You don't even know. It's so good. So then you make like sandwiches out of it. You like shred it, shred it, and then mm-hmm. like make kind of like Philly beef sandwiches or something. Oh, oh my god! It's so so good. Yes. Like I don't know that pickling liquid just like it really oh. adds like some extra like uh, acidity helps like break down the proteins. Yeah, like what you do with the turkey. It's exactly. Just, ugh. Yes. So good. Yes. So anyway, I think that we're actually yeah we're right on time. Right on. So we'll just wrap that up. I think um, our next episode is going to be episode 10, and I think it's going to be our season finale because it's the end of the year. Yeah, we made so it. We did. We made it. And congratulations to all of you as well for making it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, we'll uh, see you guys back uh, next week. Uh, probably, um, I don't know, it's going to be during the holidays, so it's probably going to be like either Wednesday night or Thursday by the time we're able to record. Uh, but anyway, everybody have uh, great, safe holidays, and um, yeah, yeah, thanks we'll again for listening. All right.